And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to episode 98 of the Keith Law Show. We are closing in on a meaningless milestone into more episodes. This week, I'll be talking to you, Eric Longenhagen of Fangrass, who actually used to work with me at ESPN. He also covers prospects, and we're going to have an extensive rambling conversation about this year's draft, which is coming up on July 17th. That is the first round. Futures game this year is a day before. It's Saturday, July 16th. The draft is July 17th, 18th, and the 19th, which is the last day three, which will be rounds 11 through 20, by which point I will be on a plane home from Los Angeles. Uh, before we get there, I have a couple of uh, new posts. Well, one new post since the last podcast for subscribers to The Athletic. It is another scouting blog. I saw the entire of uh, the four prospects who were in the Jersey Shore Blue Claws rotation. That's the Phillies' high A team, including Griff McGarry, who was promoted to double A right after that game. I actually had nothing to do with that, but I did see him. And some prospects also from the Nationals, Orioles, and White Sox systems. Saw first rounder Colson Montgomery uh, from last year's draft, the White Sox first round pick. Played really, really well at shortstop, which was not what I had heard about him prior to the draft. I never saw him previous to the draft because primarily because of pandemic reasons. So that post is up. There was a scouting blog post from uh, the week before also where I saw Kyle Harrison, Jay Groom, a couple of other players from the Giants, Red Sox, and also Pirates Systems also available for subscribers to The Athletic. And for folks who do uh, follow me for any of my non-baseball stuff, I did do another new music update. I post one of those every month on my personal site, The Dish, meadowparty.com slash blog. I also just make them available on Spotify. If you just follow me there, I think I'm actually at KeithLaw1 on Spotify. Uh, it is very much tailored to my personal tastes, but I think my hope my tastes are interesting enough that maybe if you listen to one of the one of my playlists, you'll find one or two new songs or even artists that you weren't familiar with. I do try to stay away from more mainstream stuff just to be more informative. You don't need me to tell you that, say, something on the new Beyonce album is good, because I'm pretty sure you'd already heard of her before you got to me. Now it is my pleasure to be joined once again by the first ever guest on The Keith Law Show. He's back for, I think it's your third time now. It's Eric Longenhagen, by the way, I should say his name, of Fangraphs. Eric, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm I'm feeling it, so to speak, and I'm trying to gird my loins for the next month of work that we've got between doing all the draft stuff and uh, and deadline activity. It'll be quite a lift, and then there will be a long slumber. How's it going in uh, in Delaware? Same, actually. Although, actually, the last week it's just been I've been doing all minor league stuff, just going to see. Yeah, I just had a weird great run of everyone was home like all the local teams were home playing teams i wanted to see worked out great then this week i look at the schedule and there's way less like that's just right when it rains it pours um, which it did on saturday also but i got that whole jersey shore rotation before they broke it up with mcgarry getting griff mcgarry getting promoted so i got 
Painter and Brown and McGarry and Abel and a couple other guys last week. And now I'm, you know, fortunately there's no games today anyway. So I have a mandated breather before I figure out where I'm going there. Maybe heading up to Somerset later this week. Um, Cause Bowie's up there and suddenly all of Baltimore's guys are in Bowie. They're like m- marching them up on mass towards the majors. Yeah. I'll be up your way in August. So we'll hang out and, not pay attention to Juan Soto and stuff like that. So <laughs> yes, right. That worked out great for us last time. Uh, but I had you on to talk draft. The draft is, as we record this, the draft is 12 days away, which is terrifying. Although I have to say, I feel a little bit more prepared for this year's draft than I did for the last two years. I mean, two years ago is the pandemic. I was like, well, I don't know any of these players that well. And then last year, I, without the preceding summer and fall or with way less, I also felt pretty underprepared. And now at least this year, I feel like kind of back to normal. I never feel great about knowing a draft class, but this is better than it's been the last two years, at least. How do you feel? For sure, there were subsets of players the last couple of years that were harder to really feel comfortable with. Some of it was just because of like where showcase activity was allowed to unfold because of COVID Mm -hmm. restrictions in some places and not in others. And a lot of the places where the restrictions were were places like far from me in the southeastern part of the country. So, um, yeah. but but yeah, I think um, there are other work tensions occurring for me that like make me behind in terms of having draft related content up on the site. But in terms of like being comfortable with the first couple rounds worth of players at this stage, yeah, it feels it almost feels good just in context of the last couple of years. And so many of these guys have been around for, you know, an extra year or, you know, we're, we're high schoolers during some of the, you know, the last of the 2019 showcase season or whatever, when everyone was still being seen consistently have like a nice three to four year history with all these college players. And it's good. I just think it's, it's an interesting class in terms of the way it's shaped. I think that it's one of the better ones since I've been, doing this full time, like this is one of the better classes, even though it is basically totally devoid of the high end college pitching, almost all of the the college pitching that is in like tier one of this class, not tier one of the draft, but just tier one of this draft class, like has an issue or, you know, injury or something like that. And so it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think that, the shortened draft from a couple of years ago, especially is still like, we're still kind of feeling the effects of all of these things. And it's hard to, to nail down what it, what it all is, but we have a bunch of injured college pitchers. That's, that's one thing. Um, yes. I don't know. Like if you had to, what is the, the stage that you're at? I was on the phone with a scouting director like an hour before we hopped on and they've had meetings, but they haven't all like sit down to, sat down to have the meetings. And so like, as I'm doing mock draft stuff, uh, what's going on at the very, very top, it's not crystallized because no one really knows what Baltimore is going to do, but no. And they're not going to tell anyone. They're just, well, right. Like just the stage that folks seem to be at is they have a general idea of where the players belong. They can help me polish up my rankings but where things are at on, on the mock draft trail are in a, in a different place, similar to where they were last year, I guess, where or where 
we should have realized they were last year where Pittsburgh is just not going to say anything. Now it's this year's Baltimore is just not going to say anything. And what will yep. unfold, we will just know closer to the draft than, you know, in the days leading up to it. Yep. I agree. I think it, it, we're not going to know what Baltimore's doing. We're just not. I think whenever the draft starts, whatever it is, 7 p.m. Eastern at 6.55, we might hear. One of us will hear it. Maybe all of us will hear it around the same time. We'll all rush to Twitter. Well, you won't because you're smart. You're not on Twitter much anymore. But that's it, right? Anything beforehand is just educated guessing, I think. And yes. So let's let's engage in that for a second. To me, the guys I could conceivably see them taking, it's Drew Jones, Tamar Johnson, Jackson Holiday, Cam Collier, maybe Brooks Lee. After that, they said Michael Elias said five to six players. I just named five. I know at one point this spring there was talk that they were pretty interested in Jacob Berry. It was probably just a matter of seeing maybe Elias or one other, some someone senior over there at a couple of Berry's games. I don't think there's any more info than that. But is there anyone I named that you think is almost certainly not a fit for them? Not that they're on him, but you also have a pretty good idea of what they tend to look for in players. Anyone I named who you think they'd be way off of or anyone I didn't name who you think, yeah, this is kind of feels a bit like a Baltimore type of guy. No, I think that Cam Collier is the one of that group where I'm more skeptical just because it's such a weird path. Like it is almost, mm-hmm. it is sort of like the Bryce Harper path in that he left high school early to like go to a junior college and was exceptionally young, but I, I don't know. It, it would be hard. The other guys you mentioned have a more traditional path. Um, I do think Barry fits with Baltimore's MO in a sense that he is a very stable feeling college hitter. And that is what they have tended to gravitate toward during the Elias tenure that, you know, Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser, like basically I've done pretty well mocking some of these Baltimore picks the last couple of years, just by looking at Elias's behavior rather than fix like over the last, you know, many years dating back to when he was with Houston, rather than caring about what the rumors around them say. So like, if you really, if I, you know, for that reason, I am less inclined to think that they will do Drew Jones at one. I think that you yeah. can make a great argument that he's, the best player in the draft. I think like it is almost inarguable that he has the highest upside in the draft, but that was the case with Byron Buxton too. And then ultimately mm-hmm. that draft came down to who's going to take less money, Max Freed or Carlos Correa. And Ooh, it was Correa. And so he was the pick. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Baltimore's comp pick acquisition from, you know, earlier in the spring, means if that if they've created more pool space that could allow them if they really buy that drew jones is you know that there's no hit tool risk there basically and ironclad this is a franchise alter altering player then they should just take him right. and not screw around but right that it has not been this guy's mo and so you know i would guess that the way to if i was going to handicap who is going to go one i would mm-hmm try to source as hard as I could on picks two through five and whichever of the names you mentioned is likely to go towards the back of that range. They are the one who I would anticipate 
goes first, just because that is the player who Baltimore could cut with the most, right? Because right? their their next likely home is the lowest in the draft, and so they have the most incentive to say, okay, well, give me you know 250k more than I was going to get at pick six, and you know we got yeah. a deal or whatever. Like you have, you know, there, there's where the incentives align. Uh, and, and, you know, Baltimore loves to spread out their bonus money to Carter Baumler and Kobe Mayo and end up with a ton of guys. They tried to buy back Nick Bitsko to their second pick last year. And then they're happy to take the performing college bats. If someone picks their pocket on the way down, mm -hmm. they'll just wait for another prep arm. They like to fall. Like they'll take Connor Norby. They'll take Jordan Westberg, whatever you picked our pocket on the high upside kid. We liked we'll just take one of these stable college bats and keep kicking the can down the road until we end up with like this huge draft class of many more interesting guys than a team would typically come away with rather than putting all your eggs in, in one basket. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, that is basically the Carlos Correa year is the model, right? Where they took Correa. And I, I have heard different things from people in Houston who say that, you know, look, Correa was their favorite guy, no matter what the price was, what is indisputable is he he and his representation believed he was if he didn't go first he was going seventh to san diego and therefore they were willing to cut a way below slot deal which allowed houston to go sign lance mccullers jr who worked out yep. over slot and then rio ruiz who did not really work out but they signed him to an over slot deal with baltimore having the comp pick first comp round first pick in the second round then they have that extra comp pick as you mentioned between the second and third rounds they could probably walk out of this with three first-round talents, essentially doing what Pittsburgh did last year with Henry Davis, Bubba Chandler, Anthony Solomato, and depending on how you feel about him, Lonnie White. I think the devil's advocate, though, is Mike Elias has had a couple of years where they just took the best guy. And the most recent example is Adley Rutschman. Obviously, they picked first, and Rutschman was first on everybody's boards. Where And while he was with Houston... He took Mark Appel first overall, and based on what we knew at the time, I wish we had TrackMan-type data going back to Appel's college years. I wonder if we'd feel very differently about him. But at the time, he was first on, I think, most people's boards. So he has done that, where he's just said, fine, we're just taking the best guy. So do you think that that's maybe a college first high school thing for them? Or do you think their philosophy now is just more, we're going to do the best portfolio of players, even if that doesn't mean taking the best guy 1-1? I think so. I think that the the difference, I, I agree with you in both those instances that, especially in the Rutschman instance, clearly the best guy, you got all sorts of like retroactive criticism of Appel from like a competitiveness and like fire standpoint, but I don't know, the guy's been trying to get to the big leagues into his thirties now. So I don't know. That's, that sounds like BS, but it was, yeah, his I think fastball a lot of it was didn't just, play is what his it was. fastball didn't play. Like to me, this, I think a lot of that was motivated by the fact he's, he's very openly religious. And although I do not share his religious beliefs, I don't think it's fair that people were saying, Oh, he's soft because he talks about God a lot. Like that's not, that's not the same thing. You know who else is really religious? Bryce Harper. I think he'd tear your head off if it meant yeah. one another game. All due respect, Bryce, but I think I think you would do that. But the Drew Jones, even if you think he's the best guy, I think objectively mm -hmm. he is a less stable, whatever you want to say, like high variance, yes. certainly more than Adley Rutschman, who you know performed at a large college conference that will soon die. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, for basically from the day from the jump, right? It's it's way different 
to evaluate Adley Rutschman on the Cape and against Pac-12 pitching than it is to evaluate Drew Jones, even as much as we've seen a Drew Jones, which is a ton uh, mm-hmm. against like upper level, his, the, his best peers, basically, like we've got so much Drew Jones stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, we talked about this a couple days ago as we were just sort of like talking on the phone about Wilmington guys. Uh, yeah. But Drew Jones just couldn't pull the baseball on the showcase circuit when he's facing guys who are like division one prospects with real velocity and not just varsity high schoolers in Georgia, he Mm -hmm. could not pull the ball like at all. And so there's something about his swing that's like difficult for me to articulate, but it just prevents him from doing that. And it just feels weird to me. And if I'm picking first in the draft and my ass is on the line, would I feel too weird about that? to take him. I don't know. Like if I had a swing guy, I trusted if I had player development people around me who presumably I trust if I hire them, I'm the GM uh, who say like, no, I can change this. And this guy, you know, this guy's Buxton with this one tweak, then fine. Then, then mm-hmm. I'm in, but, and then I get to point the finger if it doesn't work out, <laughs> but you know, I would certainly understand the approach they might take if they, decide to take Tamar, who I do think is going to hit. I like just look at Tamar Johnson, the way I would look at a college hitter in terms of stability. Uh, Jackson holiday, I think as well, Jackson holiday actually performed from a bat to ball perspective a little bit better than Tamar Johnson did. Yes, he did. Yeah. And we don't talk about that very much. I say we, not you and I, all of us, including us, or maybe you, the Royal, we, but I feel like the zeitgeist, yeah, the Royal, we, yes. You know, uh, the, the little group of us, Kylie, Jim, Jonathan, the few, you know, Carlos, the few of us who do this full time, we're just, we lucky I feel like few. this is not, yeah, we lucky few. That's true. We've all kind of accepted what I think is a pretty strong industry narrative that Tamar's got the best hit tool in the class. One of the best hit tools we've seen in 10 or more years on a high school kid. And, and yet Jackson Holiday is, what does that make Jackson Holiday? When, as you said, the performance we have against the best quality pitching is at least equal I think you make a case, you know, we're always dealing with small samples here, but Holiday's right there with him. Yeah, just in terms of me tracking stuff via Synergy Sports data, Mm -hmm. Holiday's ball in play to swinging strike ratio on the high school showcase circuit was three to one, which is very good. Mm -hmm. And um, Tamar's was two to one which is also really good. Also very good. Yeah. Holiday's got more traditional long-term physical projection uh, and has a better shot, in my opinion, of playing shortstop long-term. And so absolutely you can make an argument for him. But Tamar Johnson definitely has like the sexiest swing I've ever seen on a high school kid. Like, yeah, it really is gorgeous. And I know scouts who have been on him in a big, big way, like in like a six plus million dollar way since he was, high school sophomore, even though he's built like a little fire hydrant, he's so <laughs> explosive and yeah. such a great kid. And well, the makeup is exceptional by all accounts. I mean, I actually talked to, you know, now that the combine is come and gone, most teams have interviewed all the players they're going to interview and people are coming back saying, you know, he's one of the best interviews we've ever had. This kid, he's just exceptional across the board, which does, make me think, uh, yeah, we can overrate that. But certainly to the extent that 
Termar Johnson has to make some adjustments over the course of his minor league career, whether it's swing or approach or something else, he'll make them to the absolute best of his physical ability. I have no doubt about that, which is not any to say anything negative about, say, Jackson Holiday, who I have never heard a bad word about his makeup. It's just Termar is like on another planet entirely when it comes to this. It was weird. The Jackson Holiday was in Miami. I assume that he met and did stuff with the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Who picked sixth. The Rockies were... In Miami, and Matt Holiday was on in the Rockies booth. Like I was just watching it on TV. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they, for a long time, had like a lingering camera shot on Jackson Holiday sitting in the stands with his girlfriend. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know, like, how's he, how's he interacting with like the people around him? And it's just like so crazy. Like <laughs> they just left the camera on the, the kid too long. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like making judgments about the kind of person he is. Based on like absolutely nothing at all. It is just, if you're spending 20 minutes in a room interviewing someone, it's got to be so hard to mm-hmm. really have feel for what they, what they're about, especially at this age, like you're not a fully formed person and it's hard to know what someone's going to be like when they're 25 and their frontal cortex has fully developed and all that other stuff. But, but yeah, tomorrow on, on TV at the combine, they were playing it like on a loop on the TVs at Petco the next day uh, mm-hmm. while like the back half of the combine was going on. And I was not that comfortable the first time I was on TV. <laughs> I wasn't a teenager. <laughs> um, so yeah, he seems sort of unflappable. And I, I look at him the way I looked at Jared Kelnick and Riley Green, except with a better chance to stay up the middle of the diamond, like that level of stability with the bat and a better you know, defensive future. I, I really like him a lot. Where, as you're working on mock stuff, like where are the interesting hinge locations? Where where are like the the fulcrums where you think things might change or they are particularly interesting as you look kind of at the first round in general? That's a great question. I feel like through pick five or six, through pick six, you've got a pretty good idea we all have a pretty good idea of what's going on. Assuming Baltimore doesn't go batty, right? And take Joey Bag of Donuts, who's, you know, 40th on our board or something. The Cubs pick seventh and barring, you know, obviously if somebody falls to them, right? There's just a ripple effect. That that hinge point would move a little bit. But I feel like we get to Miami. Miami's almost certainly getting one of the very short number of guys they've been on. I mean, they could always go back. I heard preseason Dylan Lesko was in their top three. Whether it's true or not, these are rumors. We're just going off rumors. They could always just do that, right? If they hate what happened to them, they could call Dylan Lesko and say, say, would you take a million under slot here? And I'm sure that would happen. The Cubs is the start of a run where things get different, I think. And then it's the Royals are at nine. Right, and they they got creative last year and they have an extra – Comp A, they've got three picks in the top 50, so they could conceivably do something like that again. I agree. Yep. And I've heard a couple of times them with high school pitching, like they might be the first team to take a high school pitcher. It is interesting to me that we're still hearing that, still thinking that when the early returns from last year's high school pitching group where they took three guys, um, went under slot with Frank Mazzucato so they could go over for Ben Caderna and Shane Panzini, early returns aren't great. Now, it's way too also too quickly to dismiss it. But I think you'd I think if I were there, I would be saying, 
do we want to do that two years in a row? Knowing that even in a best case scenario, this is the 2021 draft class for us is going to take some time. Do we want to continue in the same vein or do we go in another direction? Maybe if it's just taking position players, just to have something different. And that, to me, this makes Kansas City particularly interesting and a little hard to handicap because just assigning them a high school pitcher feels a little, feels like I'm ignoring the reality around it instead just saying, well, they're the Royals. They really like high school pitching. Yeah, I can't. It's tough in our age of player development to have seen Frank Mazzucato is totally, it totally justifies the drafting strategy, but you still have to execute on the dev side of things. And so Kansas city, they have been a little late to the party in terms of understanding pitch design type things, uh, fastball shape importance. Like if you want to know why Jackson Coar's fastball doesn't miss bats and why Brady Singer hasn't quite gotten over the hump, like some of this stuff was foreseeable uh, just because... But these guys haven't gotten better in the Royal system too. Daniel right. Lynch is another one who showed fastball was al- always played below its velocity. But he had multiple secondary pitches that looked like it, they would play and he also hasn't gotten better, particularly in the last step to the big leagues. I think that's true of all three of these guys. They got to the big leagues, and they've either not gotten better or actively gotten worse since they got there. So you have some teams like Cleveland who are very good at drafting for their dev group. So yes. Cleveland oh, my, will yeah, take the among the best. Right, will take the pitchability college guys, and they almost always make them throw harder. Sometimes within just a couple months of having oh Tanner Bibi Tanner Bibi. Bibby, yeah, Bieber, he's the new Bieber. He, Tanner Bibby is the new Bieber. They have like six guys from that draft <laughs> class who buy instructs, and Bibby wasn't even at instructs, but the, the, who were already like, "Wow, Doug Nikhazy's sitting 92, 93. Like, wow, where did that come from? Trent Denholm's touching where did 96? that come from? Right? Wow. And so you have some of these yeah. teams who are weaponizing that that a combination of like data and then data that helps you understand where the mechanical deficiencies are. I think right, and it's not like people are openly mm-hmm. telling me all how they're using Kinetrax, right? But I'm just observant right. and trying to piece stuff together as I can. And so, you know, the Giants are good at this. Cleveland seems to be very good at this. And they're making college guys who have a foundation of command throw harder. Kansas City has drafted guys like that, and but hasn't really made them any better. Um, so, but yeah, they are interesting. Colorado is obviously interesting. They've just, they pick 10 every year. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually in the new CBA. They're another one where things, they have so many interesting players, like their group on the complex last year with Bernabelle and, you know, Amador, uh, Juan Brito and Guerrero. Like all these guys are very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And they just tend not to make guys any better. And it's especially stark on like the pitching side. But the two names I've linked them to, I think in my two mocks, were Brock Porter, who's. You're probably he is one of the two high school arms, I would say, is likely to be the first high school pitcher, the first pitcher, period, maybe taken. Him or Robbie Snelling. If I had to bet, if you said pick one name you think is the first high school pitcher off the board, it would be one of those two. And I've heard the Rockies love Porter. Now, they could also try to work something out, maybe slide him down. They have, the, I think, the first comp pick, right? They pick 31, I think, right after the yes. end of the first round. The other name I heard them with is... They're Jacob Berry's floor. You could not get any different, right? Here is a college DH who people think can hit and has power. That's fine. But he's allergic to leather. Or we're going to take a high school pitcher. Like, I just can't, I, I can't even wrap my head around what 
philosophy says those are the two best guys. Yeah, I think that Colorado's been pretty good at, at picking hitters in the draft. I'm mm-hmm. not the biggest. But Zach Veen looks great. Benny Montgomery fan. Yeah, Veen's interesting. Like he's not lifting the ball at all. But I was. I'm. I've been all in on Veen basically. So, um, but even like the guys who haven't quite made it could hit like Welker and Nevin and like Velotti. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that they they are pretty good at like picking guys who can hit, just maybe not enough to profile where they fit on the defensive spectrum, the, which right. is where yes, Barry's agreed. risk area is because he's maybe just the DH. Um, so the Mets, the Mets are at eleven and fourteen. The pick at eleven is the comp pick for Rocker, so that's got to be someone who they know they can sign, but then they can get creative at fourteen, correct? Well, it rolls one more year, right? If they don't okay. sign 11, they still have one more year. It's protected this year. It's fine. It's The rules keep changing. So they could roll that. However, I also would be utterly shocked if they went high risk at both picks. Um, they're going to take somebody who's who they think is high floor. I may still be a high school guy, but it, I, I cannot imagine a scenario, for example, where they take two high school pitchers. That would... That's the scenario that would completely shock me. And they might take one, and I've heard them a little bit with Snelling. Um, thing is, everybody loves Snelling, right? He's a he's a football player, which we cannot stop ourselves when it comes to football players who play baseball, especially if they pitch. Which I will point out, the track record of those guys is actually not that great. But he's super athletic. People love the delivery. He's left-handed. He's got stuff. I get it. I totally get it. If they did him with one of those picks, I think they would try to go in the opposite direction, either taking a college position player or a high school position player they think is pretty high floor has a really good chance to at least to hit or to play a defensive position well enough so that there's some security there. Cause I, I just cannot see them. And I know that group. I worked with some of those guys in Toronto. I cannot see them just going all in on risk at 11 and 14, especially realizing that, Hey, we, you know, it didn't work out with rocker. There's more scrutiny on the picks this year. I want to know what the Mets are doing to figure out who Detroit and the angels are on so that they can, because that's who picks between their two Mm -hmm. selections. And obviously elements of the Mets front office just came from Anaheim. And there are still some elements from that office who are there. And so presumably like those groups know each other pretty well. And then like uh, there, there's a little bit of like Detroit's, Detroit's former Four Corners guy works for the Mets now and stuff. Like there are some espionage mm-hmm. outlets that I would be exploring <laughs> if I work for the Mets. I'd be like, hey, you gotta ask Brian what uh, if he can talk to some of his friends from Detroit and and see what they might be up to. Because if you don't want you don't if you like a guy and you think Detroit or the Angels might be on them, then you have to take that guy at eleven and then just take what's left at fourteen um, rather than risk that the guy who you like is going to get taken by, by the tigers or the angels between your, your two picks. Um, Yeah. Those, so those first two comp picks after the, the first round are Colorado for Trevor story. And then Cincinnati for Castellanos, Cincinnati is 18, 32, and then 55 and 73. Again, they've got another comp B pick. So they've got like kind of a haul coming, uh, all these comp picks are making me realize that Michael Conforto hasn't signed. <laughs> I know, right? My brain is just firing in all kinds of weird ways. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I do want to get back to uh, the Angels. Odds they take a position player. Remember, for folks, for listeners who don't remember, the Angels took all pitchers last year. Every round took a pitcher, and I think all but one were college, right? Wasn't Albright the yeah, only Mason Albright, guy they took? The yep. lefty. And, yep, who, you know, I've heard good things, but it cl- clearly the idea was massive, immediate influx of pitching, whether – you know, a bunch of them turn out to be relievers. We don't care. We need those two, which I don't think is an incorrect assessment of the state of the system at the point when Perry Manassian took over as general manager. I just find it kind of interesting that that's the, you know, screw it. We're just going all pitching. Yeah, it is the first time. Certainly it is it is the most stark example of a team drafting for need ever in the baseball draft. Top to bottom of the entire draft, they sent most of those guys right to double A. Uh and yeah, like it's an interesting group that they got last year. I, I do think you only have so much room for all of those guys. Like if you did that again, then then there's I don't know, there's probably not enough room at Rockets. No, not enough innings. Right. So Oh yeah. Thank thanks thanks, Rob, for contracting those summer short season clubs where if you had just one of them, you might still have some room and be able to space them out a little bit. Or you could, if you were the Angels, you could say we're going to take some high school pitching because this draft has more of it. I think that's accurate. Sure. It does. Um, and, and has a lot less of the college pitching. I don't think the Angels could do that again anyway because the college pitching just isn't sure. good enough for that. There aren't enough of those guys. They could take one in the first round, but then they're going to come around again, come around to the second round, I think, and that at that point, it's much worse. But yeah, it is hard to parse what what is a philosophical shift as a result of the new regime and mm-hmm. what was just naked drafting for need trying to buttress the big league staff, which has been thin and part of the reason that they haven't been able to get over the hump, especially as they have this window where, you know, Correa left Houston and Oakland is in in a full scale rebuild, et cetera. Like it seemed ripe to to do something like that, but I'm not sure it's a year over year thing to go about. And the angel also not been great. So let's move on to, you were talking, uh, Let's go like a little bit later in the draft here where you were talking about the Reds, once again, have a bunch of extra picks. And I thought last year, I really liked what they did, actually. I thought they mixed up pretty well. Now, pushing Matt McLean to double A looks like it was a pro- possibly a very bad decision. Either that or he just wasn't as good as many of us thought he was at the time. But um, I'm going to stick with blaming player development rather than scouting. And But in this case, do they... Do you think they could try to execute the same kind of philosophy, same kind of draft strategy where it was, hey, take a pretty safe college player who we didn't even think was going to get to our pick. But then after that, mix it up. They went for some ceiling, turned around like it was a mixture of 
college, high school, college, high school, and mixing in ceiling and some floor. And to the point where they were drafting deeper into the into day two, not ta- not just taking college seniors to save money, I think more than just about any other team. Off the top of my head, I can't think of another team that was still going for it in round seven and eight like they were. Yeah, I can't either. For sure, there are some teams like the Braves will cut early and then spread out, you know, mid six figures to a bunch of guys late and stuff. But, but yeah, Cincinnati's kind of fascinating. Uh, again, shift in who was making the decisions over the last couple of years. The high school hitters who they were tending to take were swing and miss risk type guys who were also trending older than the average high schooler. Guys like Reese Hines and Austin Hendrick were, you know, older on draft day. Um, but yeah, they need a lot of help. I think their system, Washington system, uh, and and Oakland, I guess, if Montas is healthy, those are the three where over the course of the next four weeks, the shape and quality of their farm system w- is likely to be radically different than it is sitting here right now. Um, Having sat on, seen Wilmington and Harrisburg this year, so it's two of the Nationals' four full season affiliates, they, they could use a little help. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, is there anyone picking behind? If you're the Reds, you're sitting at 18. I'm looking at who's picking between my two selections to see who else might be a threat to do something interesting that would thwart my plans. Like if I, let's say you're the Reds and you like one of these college pitchers who ordinarily isn't going to go that high. You want to cut a deal with one of the injured guys or Wizen Hunt or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't have a home till later and the haircut you That's take. Carson Wizen Hunt, the lefty who missed the whole spring, who suspended for testing positive for something banned, went and pitched on the Cape. My understanding was looked pretty good up there. So he's the college pitcher who didn't pitch this spring, but it wasn't because of Tommy John. There's not really anybody between 18 and 30 who like mm-hmm. has another competitive balance pick or anything like that who you could see getting super creative and, and doing no, I anything. think it's a bunch of teams that'll, you know, shoot their shot, right? They're going to go, this is the guy we like, and we're just going to take him. Right. Right. And because and, they can't, because they don't have that opportunity to be creative that you're talking about. And for sure, like Tampa did this with Bitsco, right? Yeah. Teams were willing to pay Bitsco a lot of money in the comp round and Tampa just said, okay, well, we're going to take him and offer him this. And he'll probably end up taking it. It's not quite what he had promised deeper in the draft, but we're going to do it and like dare him and his representation to say no. Uh, So there's always a chance of that happening. But like if I'm Cincinnati and I'm thinking about how to sequence it, it is take the guy you're cutting with first and then try to buy back the overslot guy to 32. Now, of course, like they could just be, they could just think to themselves, why? There's, you know, Drew Gilbert, we think he's a slam dunk big leaguer. Here he is at 18. Just do it. Just do it. Two guys like that, especially if your front office, it feels like you're on the hot seat. You don't want to be waiting for high school pitching to to show up. Yeah, I feel like that's the club, not the club. That is one of the clubs least likely to take high school pitching, at least up top. You take a high school pitcher in the fifth round, you overpay him. No one's blinking, right? It's all that this is all about opportunity cost when we're talking about high school pitching. Versus, say, 
since they're right there in the same spot in the draft, back to the Rockies for a second, they pick 31st, so right before the Reds comp pick, and pick again 38th. If the Rockies did something like took Jacob Berry at 10, but then went over for high school pitching at 31 and 38, especially just being the Rockies and kind of always needing to develop more pitching, just in quantity, I could totally understand that. That would make a lot more sense. Whereas I could, I agree with you, I don't see the Reds doing it because for, if for no other reason than they're not in a position to say we're waiting five years for the next group of homegrown pitchers to get to the big leagues. Who are some of the guys who I guess player wise are divisive or who you have indecision around who you are either like in or out on. So the group that keeps coming to mind for me and I, had Callis on the Fangraphs pod to talk about this and ask him this specific <laughs> We're just question. Like, right, yeah. circling around. Let's all appear on each other's podcast. Let's monetize our conversations with one another. Right? <laughs> the group of college outfielders with huge tools and risky hit tools. Mm-hmm. Dylan Beavers at Cal, Brock Jones at Stanford, Jacob Melton, Oregon State, Ryan Cermak. Yep. Um, yep, Cermak. Yep, that's a good one. So who are you betting on and who's a no? I mean, Cermak's the lowest I've got. I am always going to have a hard time with guys like that who perform in mid-major or worse conferences. Um, you know, it's the Trey Sweeney issue where, you know, I know he's been a little better of late, but he got off to a pretty horrendous start. He was only in A-ball um, coming out of uh, just a not good con- – he hit really well in not a good conference. And we hadn't seen a lot of him against better quality pitching. That's the Yankees' first round pick in 21. So – yeah, that's always going to make me a little lighter on those guys. I, I've asked around about Cermak. I've heard as high as second round. I think the consensus is probably third round. I think he's more of a third, fourth round guy, which is a you know a, a distinction without a whole lot of a difference, I think, at that point in the draft. So I think of all those guys, he's probably the one I'm lightest on. Brock Jones really intrigues me. There is too much swing and miss. There just is. But he got better as the season went on. He was better against better pitching in the Pac-12 and just if you, yeah. you know cl- <laughs> closed your eh, that's true <laughs> fair point um you know if you close your eyes to the strikeouts which we shouldn't do I'm not actually advocating this but the rest of it's pretty good and in a draft where there just aren't there's no Brock Jones without strikeout issues right that guy just doesn't exist in this draft class Otherwise, all those guys would be low, right? None of those guys might be a first rounder in a typical year, or they'd be the guy who goes 25th and you're like, oh, they're going high risk, high reward there. That's an interesting gamble. Instead, now we're talking about some of these guys going into teams. And it's right. Oh, Jaron Kendall right? type guy. Yes. Yeah. There's a certain point where, of course, you take a shot on a guy like that. Those bunch of those guys you mentioned shouldn't really get out of the first round this particular year because. What the heck else are you looking at? You're going to take a low ceiling college pitcher? Yeah, roll the dice a little bit. You got one first round pick. You could take a low ceiling college pitcher with your second pick. Chase DeLauder is the other guy from that group where it's like, boy, the swing is messed up looking. Yep. I don't really know what to do. And he didn't, he, he missed his spring. It's it's extremely unfortunate. I feel really bad for the kid. He, he had a great statistical cape. He had a couple of very bad looks early this season, especially against left-handed pitching. People started to look more carefully and it's like, we don't really like the swing and he's got to cheat on velocity. And is this really going to work in pro ball? And the poor guy breaks his foot. So he never gets a chance really to answer by per- at least performing the rest of the way. He just missed it. Yeah, I'm of that group. Brock Jones is the one who I'm just like, no, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Binary, You're not alone. No. And the other ones, it, it's 
Beavers is the one who I came around on over the Ooh, course of the year, just from seeing him the most. And there's just he's one I feel very level. confident does go in the first round. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, it's just funny how this group exists and Elijah Green exists. And Elijah yeah, Green has we haven't even talked about him. <laughs> Elijah Green has hit tool risk of his own. Yep, but is still and like doesn't have a track record of performance against big conference pitching uh, like some of these guys do. And yet, like he is a slam dunk top 10 guy. It's funny, like some of the buzz around the IMG program is that speaking of places that aren't good at developing some of the fake schools uh, that like the athletic, you know, only schools. Yeah, the Javier Baez's high school, which a reader who lived down there described to me as an AAU team masquerading as a high school. Right. And I will use that quote. I mean, that's <sighs> 10 years, and I still use that quote all the time. It's so good. Like these charter schools that pop up in Arizona, and then people pay to go to them, and then they show up, and there's no... There's nothing there's there. no school. <laughs> yeah, next thing you know, you're playing like I am, you're playing IMG on a Friday night on ESPN U or something. I will say one thing that's interesting about Green, um, and he's from up here, he's a mid-Atlantic kid. You mentioned before, Drew Jones probably has the highest pure upside in the draft. If I were a devil's advocate, playing devil's advocate to you, I would say, what about Elijah Green? He's the one other guy where if you look and you're just focusing on what could be if the hit tool is there, and I agree with you, I you know I have him ranked below Drew Jones. Physically, he is everything you're asking for, right? Yeah. He's just not the hitter you want him to be at this point. And I look at him and I wonder... Is it Will Benson? I think he's better than Will Benson. I think he's a lot better than Will Benson, actually. But that's another guy who was tooled out and the body was amazing. And Benson, in his case, went to an elite private school in Georgia. By all accounts, super bright, committed to Duke, great kid. People loved the family. He checked all those other boxes. The poor kid could not hit. And that was kind of evident in high school. With Elijah Green, it's more, hey, there's some swing and miss here. Not that he can't hit. But there's some swing and miss. But you've got like the range of possible outcomes on a guy like Elijah Green is so much bigger versus Drew Jones, where I think the range is narrower. I think the bottom end of Jones's or the left tail, if you're statistically inclined, is shorter. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Some of the it's funny you have these players whose career narrative starts at their and the, the summer after their sophomore year of high school. Yes. And, the, you know, the, the way the, the winds of that shift over the course of two and a half years is, is pretty fascinating. And so, you know, Elijah Green popped onto the scene and was physically unlike anyone, even in the high school class ahead of him, but mm-hmm. striking out 33% of the time against high school kids, which we only know because IMG is so heavily scouted and scrutinized and they keep their own statistics. I couldn't tell you how much Jet Williams struck out this spring. No, you'd have to have, you have to like ask his dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the interesting thing about like some of these programs in Florida that are so heavily scouted is now they're being scrutinized and, and nitpicked almost the same as some of the big colleges or some of the individual players who we like to nitpick because, you know, they might be the first pick in the draft or whatever. Yeah. Like people don't think IMG is necessarily any good at developing players. They are just good at marketing themselves to them as a place to go. And so then that changes maybe how you look at Elijah green, even though he has statistical swing and miss risk, it is in a yellow flag area, at least, uh, you know, you might consider him someone who you can fix more than you would think of someone who, 
the higher the higher level of competition that you're playing consistently in high school, theoretically, the better the data that you're generating should be because it's against curated peers. Uh, but in this case, I think there are people who, who, who think that, you know, there's still meat left on the bone here, so to speak with, with the hit tool. And then what sucks is he could go to pro ball and be utterly dominant all the way through double or triple a, and then get to the big leagues. And that level of slider just makes is just a problem for, you know, it's just not like Joe Adele. Yep is the other example of this where you were more skeptical relative to the average mm-hmm. when Adele was a draft prospect. And then for like the next three years, it looked like you were wrong. Yes. And now <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Well, James Wood from IMG last year, he did not hit. He just flat out didn't hit last spring. He was, ba- I mean, I had scouts come back to me and say, I just saw James Wood strike out six times in a weekend. High school pl- prospects don't do that. And they were, quite frequently commenting on his on-field demeanor um, and people saying he looks like he's going to go to college. He doesn't want to play pro ball. And you know, he has, it's short period of time, but in about 11 months or so, he's been outstanding in pro ball across the board, outstanding and not Crazy. one bad word about his on-field demeanor. Yeah. Yeah. It's when you're slugging 650 or whatever and playing Everyone center field. You. Right. Yeah, when they you like look, you a lot more. I don't think he's I really don't think he's done anything wrong. I'm not saying that. But yes, you are true. Performance he, papers over a lot of other sins. Right. But yeah, it was just the stuff about him. And, you know, anything you hear about an individual player is being cut with the scout who, you know, the personality of the scout you're talking to and their childhood and, you know, all that stuff is just mixed into their opinions of, of James Wood. And yeah, like James Wood, it was like, oh, he's got a low heartbeat and all that stuff. Like they didn't think he was necessarily a high motor guy. Yeah, agreed. But the Padres also changed his swing. It is not totally optimized yet. Mm -hmm. He's not lifting the ball very consistently, but he hits the crap out of it. And so he's still slugging. But yeah, it's like a six foot seven plus running center fielder. I talked to someone with the dot with the Dodgers who was in to see their own guys play against the Elsinore kids, the, the Padres, low A group. Wood was playing center field. And he's like, yeah, that I don't know how that guy fell as far as he did in the draft, but I'm terrified of that guy. You know, he looks like he could be a plus center fielder with like seven power. And he's hitting like there. You look at uh, post-draft Wood's strikeout rates from last summer, and they're in the 33% range. A swing tweak over the winter, I guess. And now he's like, in the mid teens and at six foot seven, that's kind of nuts <laughs> for a guy who's yeah. that long levered to be like showing opposite field proclivity and not really striking out very much and, and having all these other like O'Neill Cruz type of traits where it's just like, boy, look at this power and boy, look at this kid's body. And, you know, he's, he's like a one of one type of prospect. And I could absolutely see us looking at Elijah green 12 months from now as the same type of guy. Yeah, uh, they're fascinating. I mean, this come, came up with Spencer Jones also at Vanderbilt, who's just, he's not the yes. athlete, he's a college guy. He's also 6'7", and there's quite a bit of swing and miss there. And it's definitely a it's definitely a concern. I, this this wave of 6'7 prospects, I, there's a part of me that just keeps thinking, let's see some more of them actually break through in the majors. They, they can't all be Aaron Judge. In fact, most of them won't be Aaron Judge. He is, he's an extreme outlier. If I had to bet on any of the others, it'd be O'Neill Cruz. 
Because one thing that guy has consistently done is put the ball in play at a rate that you just do not expect from a 6'7 guy. Yeah, the, historically, the guys who have outperformed our expectations as a community are the short, levered, compact, contact-oriented guy. Nicky Lopez had a six-win season last year. <laughs> not hitting for any power, just being a great shortstop. I liked Nicky Lopez, too. Never in a million years did I think he'd be a six-war player. Obviously, if I thought so, he would have been on my top 100 at some point. I just thought he was a really good little player. Right. Like So it tends to be these guys who overperform and the long-levered power overhit speed, power, like, you know, Casey Martin and Lewis Brinson and like, and some of them, again, perform all the way like Lewis Brinson after that first little bit, strikeout Mm -hmm. rates came down and he just did nothing but be great until Mm -hmm. big league stuff is just so, it's just so hard. It's just so much better. One of the things that I try to get across in the work is like how hard it is to really be like to be a 50 to be the 15th best everyday first baseman like be a 50 at first base it's so hard yeah and there are guys like justin Bohr and jesus aguilar and stuff who are basically freely available for a huge chunk of their career and they have this like three-year window where they're quite good and and both of those guys made an all-star team their 40s you know like they're a 40 christian walker is a 40 yep he's great for your fantasy team you pump out you know 25 30 bombs but what in on the big league scale that guy's a 40 like reese hoskins is a 50 anthony mm-hmm. rizzo is a 60 so you know juan yepes juan yepes is a good player you're 40 you're still a good player you're right. a useful piece on a good team fran mil reyes you know no defensive value Pumped out 37 bombs one year. You know, I think that guy's 40. Maybe he's a 45. You're picking nits at that point. But I agree with your general point. Is C1, is C2 for the yep. Epstein tree folks listening. Yes. <laughs> I think Juan Yepes is a C2. What, you don't think Theo listens to my podcast? Hello. What's that guy doing? You got some pull, Eric. I don't Did I? T- maybe I've told this story to you. My ex-wife and I, we were still together at this point. We were at a game together. We were goofing around, leaving the game. And like, you know, she pushed me into Theo Epstein. <laughs> 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 like, we're just goofing. Like, we were just goofing around. Yep. And I feel my shoulder run into someone and it was him. And I was just like, oh, right. sorry. Awesome. I did not go out of my way to introduce myself. But yeah, that was me. <laughs> I, I heard he has, he's had sworn vengeance on you ever since then though okay (laughs) (laughs) my guest today has been the great eric longenhagen of fangraphs you should check him out fangraphs.com look for all of his prospect and draft coverage what is next for you by the way the very next thing you will have on the site i'm working on i've got two org lists to do yet Mm -hmm. so i'm doing houston and then the mets and then a draft list update and a mock and farm system pre-draft farm system rankings will be on the site. And I will be doing all this over the course of the next two weeks. Great timing. Outstanding. Uh, yeah, it's not been. <laughs> I was kind of tickled by the Wes Johnson stuff just because I'm glad the twins know how that feels now. <laughs> so you're, de- you're depleted staff. Take that. Falvey. Did you also lose people to LSU? 
No, uh, the pirates. I lost someone to the pirates. I lost someone to the twins. And then I lost someone to like, you know, life difficulties. Yes, it happens. 260,000 words over the last 10 months. Oof. I'm nearly, I'm nearly done. I got to change how I got to change how I'm doing it. I would recommend that. Yes. I would. I'm getting tired. Just for your own sanity. So you can get a haircut every now and then. My sanity is fine. It's just, there's other stuff. I don't know what, what it is yet, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, this was great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If any of you will be attending the Futures game, please let me know. I usually have some time before the game where I can take a few moments to meet up with you. It's been a long time since we were able to do that, but I would certainly love to. I always enjoyed doing that, usually between batting practice and the first pitch. That is on July 16th at Dodger Stadium. Looking forward to seeing some of you there. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.